Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. What a wonderful time it is to share a testimony, an opportunity for us to show how God is working in our lives, not only as individuals, but as a church body, as a, a cloud of witnesses as we go out and do what God has called us to do. And that is to preach the gospel. That is to tell others about Jesus Christ and how he is the only way we get to experience salvation. So, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But I'll go ahead and preach anyway since I'm here. So, I know. (laughs) Still in Romans 8, as you all know. We're still in Romans 8. But I want to say this. I love my family. And they love me, even though I'm not always so lovable. Yes, I know. I'm not always so lovable. And I can't think of anything more important than our families. Amen? Nothing more important than our families, except except one thing. And that is being a part of God's family. Being a part of God's family. And this morning, we're going to focus on one of the most wonderful truths that we find in the Bible. The truth that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His Father becomes our Father, and we become a part of the family of God. But think about how you became a part of the family. Think about how you became a part of the family. Basically, there are only three ways that that can happen. Marriage, birth, and adoption. God uses a spiritual version of all three to make us a part of his family. First, marriage. Now, most of us know that the Bible calls Jesus the bridegroom, and God's church is the bride of Christ. And there are at least seven or eight key passages that talk about this truth. For example, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, God gives us his wonderful plan for marriage. And it is based on God's plan for Jesus and his church. Listen to a part of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. God says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does for the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, when we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are miraculously saved. Amen? We are miraculously saved. And we also 
become a part of the spiritual bride of Christ. We also become part of God's family by birth. When we believe in Jesus, we are born again into God's family by the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 talks about this truth. And he says this about Jesus. He says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus also talked about this new spiritual birth in John chapter 3, when the Lord told Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, when we trust in Jesus, we are literally, we are spiritually born again. So we basically, we have two birthdays. Isn't that kind of cool? We have two birthdays. And this miraculous gift of new life is absolutely essential for salvation. Absolutely essential for salvation. And it always is the work of God's Holy Spirit. We also become a part of God's family by adoption. And we will cover this later on this morning. But Christians, I want you to know, we need to praise the Lord. We need to praise the Lord because we are a part of God's family. So what does this mean for our lives? What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? Well, first thing this morning, it means that we become a home for the Holy Spirit. We become the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Everyone who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior becomes that home for the Holy Spirit. And receiving the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. And here's why. In verse 6 of Romans chapter 8, having God's Spirit take us from death to life. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In verses 7 to 9, having God's Holy Spirit also makes it possible for us to please God. We talked about last week. How do we please God? We have faith. We have faith. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God... For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but you, referring to us, we are in the Spirit. But if you are not in the flesh, we are in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within us, and it goes on to say in the latter part of verse 9, having God's Spirit is also proof to us that we belong to Christ. And because if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. In other words, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit go hand in hand. 
They go hand in hand. And you can't have one without the other. And if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you absolutely have the Spirit of Christ living within you. And God proved this to the missionary Russell Morse in the most difficult of circumstances. In the mid-1900s, Russell served the Lord near the border of China and Burma. And he served the Lord there. And in 1951, he was captured by the Chinese communists. Now, Russell was held captive for 21 months. And they told him that his wife and his youngest son had been killed. And there they put Russell in an isolation cell for 15 months. And he was completely cut off from the, le- from the rest of the world. And they broke Russell's glasses. They shoved him into his cramped cell without his Bible or any other book. And twice a day, a bowl of food was pushed through a slot in the door. But he never saw a face, and he never heard a voice. Russell was totally cut off from all human contact, unsure of whether anyone on the outside world even knew he was still alive. He was completely alone. But Russell Morse was not alone. He was not alone. The spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ was right there with him in that cell. And the Holy Spirit was right there giving him comfort and also bringing Bible verses to his memory. He didn't need the physical copy there. He knew these things because he was living within the spirit. He was allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to him. But also know this. We are part of God's family too. So we have become a home for the Holy Spirit as well. When we are in difficult situations and we don't understand why, understand that, like I said last week, when we have faith, then we truly understand what true Christian joy is. Even in the toughest of circumstances, we can rely upon the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us as we're afflicted. And that's what he's saying here. Paul stresses this truth in verses 10 and 11 in Romans chapter 8. Because along with what I just said, we also get a royal resurrection. What does that really mean? What is a royal resurrection? Well, Paul stresses this here. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What a wonderful promise we have from God there. When we come to know Christ, we have life. And without Christ... There is no life. Now, unless the Lord comes back first, all of our physical bodies are going to die. And the question is always, why? Why does it have to die? Paul tells us in verse 10 that it is because of sin. It is because of sin. And ultimately, it all goes back 
to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and they sin by eating the one and only kind of fruit that they were forbidden to eat. And we've gone through this many times. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and tend to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This wasn't just a warning label planted on that tree. This was a warning spoken directly to Adam's heart. And he knew what he was doing. Just like we as sinners know what we're doing. This is not just a warning label you can walk up and just tear off and hope for the best. God has explicitly told us what's going to happen. So this is why our bodies die. Because we're sinners. And because of that sin, we are separated from those bodies. And from that time on, as we go through chapter 3 in Genesis, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And they immediately died spiritually. They immediately died spiritually. And they began to die physically. And because of the curse of death fell on the world. And from that time on, everyone ever born was under that curse of death. We were also born with a deadly spiritual sickness that we call sin. We're born with it. That's why we never have to teach our children how to lie. Do we? It's always the question. I know it's with me. How could you lie? I never taught you to do that. Because it is in us already. We don't have to teach them to lie. We don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They get that naturally. And so did we. And our bodies are going to die because of sin. But Christians, you have to know this. God's Holy Spirit has already given life to our spirit. He has already given life to our spirit. And we have the sure promise that our physical bodies will rise again. Again in verses 10 and 11, Paul said, If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, our physical bodies will be raised from the dead as well. And they will be transformed into our eternal body and it will be just like his good thing. I don't like the one I have now. Some of you are like, yeah, we don't like yours either. (laughs) I'm happy for that. I'm glad that we're going to be like him and not like this. But this is the extremely important part of our faith. Here's what Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. So listen, verses 12 through 20, and this is actually from the New Living Translation. Paul began with a question. Paul began with a question. He says this, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ was not raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your trust in God is useless. 
and my job security is out the window. That's not there. Thought I'd throw that in. But, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still under condemnation of your sins. Hence, you wouldn't need to be sitting here today. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ have perished. And if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we are the most miserable people in the world. God is saying that this life doesn't have to be miserable. We can experience true joy in being a Christian. When we had the game night on Friday night here, in my prayer I said, Lord, thank you that we get to come to a place where we could have fun. As Christians, we can have fun. We can enjoy the things that God has blessed us with. The problem is, is we have motivations, don't we? We have temptations. We have things that distract us from the things that glorify God. Because even in those fun times, it's real easy to do them for the wrong reason. In verse 20, But the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, he has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. That's us. We're celebrities in the Bible. He's talking directly to us. God will surely raise our physical bodies again from the dead. And he will transform them into a body just like his. Billy Graham gave a testimony in, uh, that kind of gives us a small taste of the great things in store for God's children. Billy said this. He says, The first death in our immediate family was that of my maternal grandmother, Lucinda Coffey. And grandmother talked often about her husband, Ben, who had been badly wounded in the Civil War. And Ben was wounded while serving with the 11th North Carolina Regiment, which led to the advance on Gettysburg from the West, July 1st of 1863. Shrapnel almost severed his left leg, and while Ben was lying on the battlefield, a bullet grazed his right eye, blinding it forever. And doctors were forced to amputate his wounded leg sometime later. Now Ben's friends testified to his concern for spiritual values. He says, I never knew him. He died in 1916 at the age of 74. And when Grandmother Coffee died, I was in elementary school, and my sister Catherine and I were called out of school. The manner of her dying became a legacy of faith for our family, he goes on to say. She had been very weak, but when she died, the room seemed to fill with a heavenly light, and she sat up in her bed almost laughingly saying, I see Jesus. He has his arms outstretched toward me, and there's Ben. He has both of his eyes and both of his legs, and I see angels. Then, Dr. Graham said, she slumped over, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And just before she went to heaven, Billy Graham's grandmother saw her husband's spirit made perfectly whole. 
But one day Ben's body will be raised from the dead as well. And it will be perfectly whole as well. It will be a body like Jesus has right now. We will be like him. And we will live with him forever in heaven. But understand this. None of this happens unless we have the cross. None of this happens unless we have the cross. No resurrection without the crucifixion. No resurrection without the crucifixion. And no salvation. Listen to this one. No salvation without the suffering of our Lord. Jesus did suffer. He died on the cross. But he rose again from the dead. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ, so will we. So will we. So Christians, we are a part of the family of God. So we also get that royal resurrection. But also know this. We also need to have a righteous response. Too often, as Christians, we... um, have conversations with individuals. We tell them about Christ. And we say, you need to do this. You need to read this. You need to pray. You need to fellowship with other Christians. We need to do all these things. And as soon as they get going on this path, as we call it, we soon then lose interest and we're not checking in on them. We're just assuming that because they started off well, they're going to finish well. But God says that's only the beginning. God says that we are to nourish those individuals. We are to come alongside those individuals and help them seek the righteous path. How are we going to respond to all that God has done for us? Paul shows us how we should respond in verse 13, but first he shows us how we must not respond to God's goodness and grace. Verse 12, in the beginning of verse 13, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. William MacDonald explained that we owe nothing to the flesh or to live according to what it dictates. The old, evil, corrupt nature has been nothing but a drag. It has never done us any bit of good. If Christ had not saved us, the flesh would have dragged us down to the deepest, darkest, hottest places in hell. Why should we feel obligated to such an enemy? But in verse 13, why did Paul tell Christians, if you live according to the flesh, you will die? Was Paul talking about us losing our salvation? Many good and godly Christians believe that we can lose our salvation. And this is one of the verses they use to support that belief. But in every verse of Scripture, it has to be weighed against the whole counsel of God. And there are many Scriptures that proclaim the eternal security of believers. As a church, we stand on principles and scriptures 
like John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And in John chapter 6, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all that he has given me I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. God is laying out this promise for us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved, and they will have life. Not if, not or. It is a statement that is true and true and true. It's a given. If you know Christ, you have a relationship to him, you will be saved. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise... Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Was Paul talking about Christians losing their salvation in verse 13? No. But the apostle often includes words of warning and self-examination in his letters, realizing that in every congregation there may be some people who have never been truly born again. Some of you this morning may not be born again. But praise be to God, you're in the right place. You are in the right place to change that narrative for you. God loves you. He wants to adopt you into his family. You see, Christians, we have been born again into the family of God. And the last part of 13 shows us the righteous way that we must respond Paul said, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Every family member has responsibilities. And the same is true in the family of God. Our responsibility as believers is to mortify or put to death the evil deeds of our bodies. And every true Christian will want to do this. Understand that. When we are born again, this is something that we desire, not a, oh, if I have to. We desire to do this. Mary Lewis told about a very young Christian girl who went to her mom and said, I know that Jesus lives inside my heart, but how do I tell him that I love him? Do you think if I write, I love you on a piece of paper, eat it, that he'll get the note? There was a whole lot that little girl didn't understand. But she loved the Lord, and she wanted to show it. Well, Jesus tells us how to show our love. John 
chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord simply says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. We are a part of the family of God, so we need to show that righteous response. And finally this morning, we also know that we have been affectionately adopted by God. We have been adopted by God. And there's much to say about our adoption into the family of God. First of all, we can have great confidence knowing that in our relationship to God, as it says in verses 14 and 15, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Let me say that again. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. We are not to live in fear. We are to have faith. We are to rely upon God and his promises. Has God ever broke his promise to you? No. Does he plan on breaking his promise to you? No. I am thankful that God has a covenant with us. And I'm thankful when we as sinners break that covenant, it still stands with him. It still stands with him. And like I said, here Paul was not talking about the reverential fear of God. Instead, he's talking about the kind of fear that comes from bondage to a cruel slave master or a uh, not-so-righteous religion. He's talking about looking back in history and seeing these examples. He says, but Jesus Christ came to set people free from the devil's bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 makes this truth very clear. And there got... In God's word, it says simply this, and I know you know this, in so as much that as the children have partaken flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, and through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, the devil has no hold on us. But as I said before, we have that choice. He doesn't have the power over us. We freely give him that power. By submitting to the sinful nature that we have. But God says, I want to take that away. I want to take that burden off of you. I want you to follow me closely. And in verse 15, and release those who through fear of death for all of their lifetimes subject to bondage. And for indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, and he is able then to aid those who are tempted. And that's why here in verses 14 and 15, Paul can say that. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Christians, we have to be adopted into God's family. So we can have great confidence in our relationship with God. And know this as well. We have been chosen by God. 
In the last part of 15, God's word tells Christians, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Here, God's Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. And because he confirms that we have been adopted into God's family, and while all believers have also been born again by the Holy Spirit, God tells us that we have been adopted. I've never been so excited to be adopted in my life. We are adopted. And I'm glad because it means we are chosen by God. We are chosen by God. The love of a parent for an adopted child is a very special, big kind of love. It is a very special kind of love. It says that my parents didn't choose me. And there were probably days when, given the choice, my mom would have said, eh, no thanks. But God has the kind of love for us that he can look at us, warts and all, and still say, I choose you. I choose you. And then and only then we can be close to God. We can be close to God. When he adopts us, we become close to God. And in verse 15, we can be incredibly close to God because we have received that spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, this is an amazing and maybe even a shocking truth to some of us. That because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, when we approach the God of the whole universe... We aren't required to say things like, Oh, most holy and magnificent Lord of God of the universe, omnipotent ruler of all, king of all kings. Now, don't get me wrong. God always deserves our deepest devotion and our highest praise. Amen? But because of the spirit of adoption in our hearts, we can cry out to the Heavenly Father, like he's our earthly father. Daddy. Daddy. Abba. Father. The cross of Jesus Christ gives us this amazing, miraculous closeness to God. It's beyond ordinary comprehension, but as you look in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have been adopted into God's family. And so, we can be close to God. And we are also in God's care. Think about little babies for just a minute. The truth is, is they're not always that pleasant. Let me explain. Actually, I probably don't have to explain. We all know. They always seem to have something oozing out of them, right? (laughs) But if they drool on us, spit up on us, or whatever, that's okay. That's okay because we love them. We adore them. And we will do anything necessary to take care of our children. And that's the way our Heavenly Father feels about His children. In fact, God is taking care of us right now as we speak. He's taking care of us. And 
the other great truth and promise is that he will take care of us forever. Forever. Paul reminds us of that truth in verse 17 where he said, If we are God's children, then we are his heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Notice that. When we become children of God, we suffer. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Who wants to suffer? Did God want to suffer? Yeah, it's a trick question, right? Did God want to suffer? Yes, he did. And no, he didn't. But God did it out of his great love for us so that we didn't have to suffer. I know that we like to see things in life and, the, and these circumstances that arise in our lives as suffering. Or we could have the positive mindset and realize that these things are opportunities, opportunities to grow, opportunities to allow, allow God to do something wonderful in your life, to teach you something you never knew before. And we know these circumstances are not fun to go through, but it's a testing of our faith. It's a testing of the faith that we know that God has said, through that faith, we can experience true joy in our suffering we can experience joy. In other words, if we are God's children, and we are, then we have an everlasting inheritance from his riches and glory. That means we are eternally rich beyond our wildest expectations. Bill Boutonite told a story about the worst part of the Great Depression. One day, a very distressed lady walked into the office of a big insurance company. And this lady didn't know how life insurance worked, and she very sadly told the clerk, I'm afraid I can't keep paying the premiums on my husband's life insurance. He's been dead for six months now, and I just can't afford it. <laughs> the amazed clerk called the manager. He looked over the policy and then told the lady that she would soon receive a check for 200 thousand dollars. Now in today's money, that's about 3.5 million dollars. Imagine her shock. She almost fainted. I might have. But she had no idea how rich she was. And as Christians, I have a feeling that we don't know how richly blessed we are. Because as our human nature would impl implicate, we like to focus on the negative. We like to focus on the things that drag us down. But folks, God wants to take care of that for you as well. Again, we don't know how rich we are. Because we had no claim at all on this inheritance that God speaks of. But because of our Father's love, and because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God is always giving us the best care of all. And I want to close with this this morning as David's going to come and lead us in our time of benediction. I'm going to leave you with this. Thank God we are part of God's family. And if you have never 
ever putting your trust in Jesus Christ, please know that God wants you to be in his family too. He wants to give you that opportunity. We, as a church, want to give you that opportunity this morning. So if you've never made that decision, or if you don't understand what that decision means, we've got individuals here that want to talk to you, that want to share this revelation that God wants to take care of you as well. Regardless of where you stand, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the sinful nature we know we all have, no one's immune to it. But God says, I can take care of that too. We need to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we give him the glory and honor that he deserves. Amen. Amen. David, come. Let's stand together. And let's sing about being in the family of God. Heavenly Father, as we leave your house today, I pray that you open our eyes and our hearts to the opportunities to share the good news about who you are, what you are, and what you want to be for us. Lord, there are so many blinded by the chaos we call this life. And they search for things that just aren't there. But Lord, we know that they need to search you. They need to search the things that you have given to them and want to give to them freely, even though, Lord, we know we don't deserve it. You love us anyways, and you want to adopt us into your family. Thank you, Lord, for that truth and the truth that could never be separated from anything. Lord, we thank you so much for our time together today. And I pray as we leave, that those who do not know you will come to know you today. Today, Lord. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.